This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello there and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast. I'm Joe Rimmer and today on my left I'm joined by Christian Walsh. Hello Christian. Hello Joe. And I've got some big news. I'm really, really pleased to say that after three weeks the wait is finally over. (laughs) Sitting opposite me and looking very tanned. He spent a lot of time in the garden. Ladies and gentlemen, it's James Pearce. How are we James? Very well, thank you. It's great to see you. It's lovely to be here Joe. Do you enjoy your three weeks off? I did, yeah, yeah. I had a uh, a week over in in Singapore, and then two weeks pottering around at, at home, doing little odd jobs here and there. So uh, went pretty fast. I think I missed all the drama because since I've come back on on Monday, uh, it all seems pretty quiet on the uh, on the transfer front. Yeah, we haven't seen you since the Champions League final. Since you lost the Champions League final <laughs> in Kiev, yeah. So are you, are you finally over that? Uh, not really. No. Um, no, I think it. It still hurts a bit. I think. I think mainly just because of the way in which Liverpool lost it. I think it would have been a lot easier to take if you'd been completely outplayed by Real Madrid, which could have easily happened. But yeah, it's still, you know, in those quiet moments when I've been looking after the petunias in the back garden, it it still it still hurts a little bit because um, you know you think about that opening twenty five minutes, half an hour before Salah got injured when Liverpool were the better team, didn't make it count, and then obviously you know, disappointing the way that Salah going off did seem to completely rock the team to that degree. Um, and then ultimately, you know, you've been beaten by two horrendous goalkeeping mistakes and one world-class piece of quality from Gareth Bale. So, um, no, it was... But it, it still doesn't take away... You know, it was a devastating end to the season. But, you know, I think also when the dust settles, you kind of look back on the last nine months and I've got a big cupboard at home where all the programmes and team sheets and everything else gets lobbed into during the course of the season. And when you're sorting that out and, you you know, it's jogging your memory about games you were at over the course of the year and and you know there's so many more happy memories than than, than bad ones because you know it, it was an amazing year um to cover Liverpool and to be there um just a shame that they didn't have anything tangible to show for it at the end yeah okay we won't dwell James forgive us but we've, we've talked about it to death in the last three weeks so um we'll try and move on and think of happier things um yeah the World Cup's on the World Cup's on are we both enjoying the World Cup it wasn't until James had that little yeah. soliloquy there about, <laughs> yeah. about the Champions League. I was over it, now I'm not. Yeah. I thought he was just going to say yes and, and we'd move on, but yeah, he decided to depress us all. Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah. Yeah. No, the World Cup is good, isn't it? It's, it's, it is a distraction. It's, it, it's, I know it sounds silly, but it's nice to, to watch football that you don't really care about. But, yeah. but it'd still be semi-competitive because even when you're watching a Champions League game, I think in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh, you know, one of these could end up playing Liverpool in the quarterfinals, or but but you know ultimately I'm not massively if you know no massive affinity to England for example. Um, the only real investment I've got at the World Cup is a financial one. Um, so you in, can tell because you keep swearing at them, Mark. Oh God, I love words with Jan. Um, but it is, isn't it? It's nice to sort of have. Obviously, people do support, you know, their nation, England, whoever. But it is nice to just watch a bit of football um, and just, you know, just appreciate it for what it is. I've been, I've been loving it. I must admit, yeah, I've, I've seen a few people on social media moaning about it and saying, you know, what a mediocre tournament it's been so far. I actually think it's been a great World Cup so far. I think, you know, the VAR stuff is a bit mad because I don't think anyone really knows what's going on. Um, you know, you're seeing, um, you know, the most ridiculous things being reviewed and then decisions given and then absolutely blatant things like Harry Kane being wrestled to the floor, not even getting a second look. Um, but in general, I think, you know, there hasn't been that many dull, uninspiring games. I mean, of course, you know, you've got like you know, Portugal and Uruguay who are so pragmatic with the way that they approach games and, you know, not even interested in entertaining. It's, it's They're carving out results. But there's been, it has been loads to admire so far. And I've, as Christian said, it, I absolutely love the fact that, you know, you've, you're just able to sit and watch three, four games of football in a day where you haven't really got that much of an emotional attachment to, to what happens. Um uh, yeah, and you know it's only the group stage, isn't it? As well, I think you know the, the tournament doesn't really get going until the knockout stages. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm really optimistic about the World Cup in terms of I think it's boiling up nicely, and I think it helps as well. There isn't an outstanding team going on what we've seen so far. 
um, you know, I think I think it's very open, and I think that will make for an exciting few weeks ahead. Go on. So, who in the first round? I know you say there's no outstanding team, but in the first round of games, Christian, first of all, any any tip? Who who do you think now? Have you have you? I know before and you tipped. Did you tip Brazil? Brazil. Yeah. Brazil. That's changed. I back. No, no. I, well, I backed them two years ago, Brazil, and um, I, I can't really. Two years ago, in, in what? In the Euros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A non-runner. Four years ago, even. Uh, so. I've, I'd stick with Brazil. Um, a lot of teams who go on to win the World Cup always have slow starts, and I thought that first thirty minutes against Switzerland, you're watching them and you're thinking these these are these are the real deal. The only problem would maybe be the balance of the team, um, something that we might move on to later. But I, I can't for the life of me how see how Roberto Firmino doesn't start for them. Uh, the second he came on against Switzerland, they just galvanised them and he looked. Uh, you know, Neymar came into the game far more. I think if they strike that balance correctly, and you know the the front three that they've got and and the options that they've also got on the bench, I think they are you know worthy favourites still. Yeah, well, Tite, Tit, Tit, we probably need we probably need a lesson now to pronounce his name because it's dangerous if you get that one wrong, isn't it? He's already come out and said that they'll they'll play an unchanged side in the next game, and it is it does baffle, doesn't it, James, that Roberto Firmino after the season he's had doesn't get in that team. Yeah, it's strange because I actually think Neymar would benefit. A lot more from having Firmino there as well. We, we we know how unselfish Firmino is, and the the running he does for others and cre- create space. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go along with that. I think if you were picking one at the moment, it'd be pretty stupid to say anyone but Brazil. But I don't even think they're not that great. I thought you know they, for twenty twenty five minutes against Switzerland, I thought wow, you know this this is by far and away the best team. And then Switzerland, I mean they got away with a few fouls, and you know they were kicking lumps out of Neymar at times, but. I think they did show that you can rattle Brazil, and you know, in in the end, I thought Switzerland probably deserved the point. So it's not, it's not a it's not an amazing Brazil team. I think it it could be one of those World Cups where someone does come out of nowhere. Even you know, I said before about Uruguay not being very pleasing on the eye, but you know what? They'll take some knocking out just because you know they're they're solid defensively. You know, they they don't overcommit players forward, and when you've got a front two of Cavani and Suarez, you've always got a chance of nicking a game one nil. Um, someone like Croatia as well, I think you know that they they could go a long way in in the tournament. Um, you know, Argentina didn't didn't look great. Um, obviously, Germany have got their problems so far, but you know you, you'd still back them to to get through. And, and France are a funny one because you know you, you look at that French squad and you know, watching their game the other day, and their bench is absolutely ridiculous. You know the options they've got to bring on and and change games, but you know it doesn't seem like that's a particularly happy camp and. So it's. I think it does just make for a really, a really open, entertaining World Cup. My dark horse tip went well. Your dark horse Morocco. Tip? Morocco for the World Cup. Not for the World. No, no, not for the World Cup. But <laughs> no wonder you, you shouldn't be getting anywhere near these betting. No wonder you're screaming at your phone. It's a Brazil for the European Championships and now Morocco for the World Cup. Jesus, Jesus Christ! I fancied them to get out the group. Actually, no, that that's a bit of a lie. I fancy Portugal not to get out the group, and that could still happen. If, and, and I've just got that little feel. I think the Portuguese Carlos Queiroz does Portugal with a run. Christine, you're wrong. Anyway, <laughs> well, I've been, I've been impressed by Spain so far. I know, I Good for you. Yeah, I think I think they're a great side, and I think they've got the experience. So. Yeah, and Aspas is, is Aspas Aspas to score the winner in the World Cup final. That's my tip. Yeah. What a great, what a great side. Anyway, we'll move on. James, I'm glad you mentioned France because we're going to open up the Pandora's box. It is not be <laughs> for Kia. Obviously, you missed most of it, James. But um, what are your thoughts on that one? Do you think it's one that Liverpool could get back off the ground, or do you think that one is is dead and buried? Oh, I mean, it's a it's an interesting, wasn't it, to try and trying to get to the bottom of it, of exactly what has gone on and what is likely to go on. Um, isn't straightforward because there's very different messages from from the France end and from the Liverpool end. I think you know Liverpool um, were adamant that they they pulled out that deal on on that Friday and and that was that was pretty much it. I think you speak to people in France and and they think that um, that there's still some mileage in it. And of course, you know his agent fueled that, that belief this week with his comments about you know it's, this is not the end of the story. Um, you know, I think you know, from my perspective, from what happened in the in the build up to to that deal falling through, it was very strange. I, you know, I must admit, I'd, I'd never known anything quite like it in terms of you know, I found out on the, the Thursday, I think it was that that Liverpool medical staff had flown to to Paris to carry out the medical, 
um, after you know a deal was agreed between the clubs. Um, then you know heard that, they, that everything was being geared towards a kind of late afternoon, early evening announcement on the Friday. Um, no real suggestion that there were any issues. And then um, you know I think I think we had the story on that Friday afternoon that Liverpool had sought a second opinion on his knee. Um, and, and the information I had at that stage was that 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 second opinion, you know, wasn't of sufficient concern for Liverpool to completely walk away from the deal. Um, and, you, you know, again, Liverpool say they didn't try to neg- renegotiate those terms, speak to people in France, and they say Liverpool did try to renegotiate those terms on, on the back of the, the second opinion. Um, but I think what was pretty clear was by then, you know, the clock was ticking so much in terms of Liverpool knew it had to be done pretty much that day for it to happen before the World Cup, before we went and linked up with the, the France squad um, and ended up, you know, pull, pulling out of the deal and, and didn't go through. So um, it's it's an odd one. Clearly Liverpool have got concerns about, you know, the, the, the serious knee injury he suffered three years ago. I know Fakir has spoken this week as well, hasn't he, saying that his knee is absolutely fine. There's no issues. You know, he played a lot of football last season. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. I think nothing will happen, you know, keep getting asked you know what's the latest with Fikir nothing's going to happen while France is still in the World Cup there's absolutely no chance you know that I think that goes for any player you know Alisson who I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit as well um you know while they're on World Cup duty you know there's no way that their their managers on international level are going to want them speaking to anyone about you know about their future um so it's certainly on hold until then whether it still happens you know I honestly wouldn't like to say either way um I mean clearly he was a player that Klopp desperately wanted to bring to Liverpool. Clearly, Fakir was desperate to come to Liverpool. What we also know is that Liverpool didn't feel, under the terms that they'd agreed with his club, that they could go ahead with it, having seen the results of his medical. Now, will will they, after the World Cup, go back in and try and re- renegotiate those terms? You know, at, at the moment, people in France still think that will, that will be the case. Speak to people at Liverpool, and they're very non-committal on that. So... I think it's just one we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Christian, you were in that weekend, uh, crazy weekend in this office, but um, what was it like working with that deal? It was changing all the time. It was, and, and as James said, that it's I can't remember a transfer that we've worked across where there's been such conflicting claims and suggestions and, and you're getting told one thing from one end and you're getting sort of led another way by somebody else. And there was clearly something... Look on 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 that Friday, it, it, we we recorded the podcast because we were absolutely convinced, and 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 he, you know, as proven by the fact that he had the shirt on and he and he did the stills and and, and he did the welcome video the and all that, the interview, TV, all done, all done. So for it to go that far, I can't remember the transfer going that far. To be fair, and and, and pulling out. So I remember I was in America with James um, in 2014, and Remy was pretty much a done deal. And he pulled out last minute, didn't he? Liverpool, I think it was medical concerns. I think yeah, is he there? A hole in his heart, I think it oh, was. A hole in his heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the issue. That was the issue then. Um, I mean, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't as big an outlay, was it? As no, Fikir, it was I think. seven, eight million. Yeah, I think. we had quite a low release clause, didn't he? But yeah, I mean, that, I suppose that's the only one I can think of that comes close because Remy did actually. I remember him seeing him in the, the team hotel. I think it was in Boston. It was Boston. Uh, um, you know, he'd even picked a shirt number. Um, and you know, gotta be number seven, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah he's gonna, gonna be wear, number seven. Gonna be Suarez's number. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the only thing. Well, I can, I can think, but I don't think it didn't he, get that far, did he? Yeah. Like the, the, the shirt and the interview, and yeah, you know, and even even far. with that, you know, there was quite a delay between him flying in and because I think he came, did his duties, and then I think he actually went off. I think he actually went to New York shopping with his missus for a couple of days because he he was owed still some time from his his break or whatever. Um, so even at then, it yeah, it didn't. It wasn't until a couple of days after the, it emerged that, that there was an issue there, but um, yeah, this one was even more strange, I think. Yeah, it, and and as it developed then as well, I mean, so you're waiting for the you're waiting for basically you're waiting for the announcements because the, you, you from all what you've been told, it's 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 a done deal. Um, you know that he's done the LFC, you know, the interview and whatnot, and then it doesn't happen, and it, so you get to the the. the the Friday night, the Saturday morning, and then there's suggestions that oh, we might be on hold here. So you try and follow up on what's going on there. You're trying to, and and still you're you're not really getting any definitive answers. Nobody really knows what's what's happening. You, you're trying your best to, to get a definitive sort of stance on on what's happening next. And then, well, as you know, um, on the Saturday night, 
it, uh, at your thirtieth. Um, <laughs> Leon, yeah, that, uh, Leon dropped the dropped the announcements. Uh, like, and to say it was out of the le bleu would be very much a, an understatement because it was. I don't think anybody foresaw that. I think I still deep down felt that all of the issues will get, you know, if there was a couple of issues to get ring, you know, wrinkled out and, 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 and it will go through just, just maybe not as, as immediately as, as first thought. For, for Leon to come out and, and make that statement was, was just absolutely, you know, remarkable. I can't remember a transfer like that. Obviously, we remember Southampton's statement, for example, after Van Dyke, but, you know, this deal was, was far, far, far more advanced than that. Um, so, you know, it, it, what it does now is leaves Liverpool without the player that they've identified as the perfect replacement for Philip Coutinho. I think what it also does is put a little bit more pressure on them because ultimately they would have gone into the World Cup there with two, but ultimately three new players in Fabinho, Fakir and Keita. That's a whole new midfield. Now there's just that little bit of question mark over what happens next for Liverpool. I think I'm a little bit like James, I wouldn't like to say, but I do think the fact that very little is coming out about potential replacements and, you know, alternatives. You know, Lanzini was somebody who was mentioned, but he obviously tore his ACL with Argentina. I'd, I'd imagine maybe he was on a list, but obviously you can't get him now. So the fact that there seems to be very little coming out about potential alternatives would say maybe the deal isn't dead, but, you know, you can't save away because it's just been that sort of transfer. James, do you think that either way we'll see Jurgen Klopp look for someone in that position and replace Philippe Coutinho long term? Um, yeah, I think I think he'll have to. The only, the only thing that makes me hesitate slightly is how many times in the last few years have we kind of been sat here saying, "Well, he's gonna he's gonna have to get someone." And I think we've, what we know with Klopp already is that if he can't get the right one, then he's he's you know despite the clamour and you know it might look like a crazy thing to do at the time he's prepared to to bide his time and and wait um you know we saw that with the the left back situation a few years ago the center back situation after van dyke fell through you know around this time last year um so yeah i mean i'd i'd be amazed if he didn't if if he you know if it, if it's not for kia then then i i would i would fully expect him to go and sign you know that kind of Coutinho replacement which is effectively how liverpool viewed fakir um just because i think it is a it is an area of weakness in the squad. I think we only had to, you know, we had to look at the bench on the the Champions League final. You know, when you when you're bringing on Lallana, who you know had played so little football, and Emre Chan, who you know his heart was already elsewhere, really in terms of on the brink of signing for Juventus. Um, you know, Liverpool do need another game changer in terms of attacking wise. Um, but yeah, it's you know it doesn't seem to be you know if if they have moved on for from Fakir, then the the moment there's there's certainly no, no, you know, kind of no suggestions in terms of who it is that they're turning to, um, and you know, if it isn't Fakir, then that is certainly is a a blow for Klopp because you know he he was the one that um, that had been pinpointed as as the as the kind of Coutinho replacement. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, Jordan Henderson played for England um, on Monday evening. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench, but Henderson started, played a very good role in that late win. Uh, Christian, were you impressed with him? Uh, Frank Lampard was, quite a few other people were. Martin Keown didn't seem to be. Oh, I, I, you know, if any of our listeners who haven't got access to, you know, BBC television, you know, the British footage of the World Cup, mm-hmm. I'd, Keown was, was baffling me because very good passes were, were relegated to okay passes. And and you know it was he, he was he was absolutely adamant that Jordan Henderson needs to go forward more. He needs to go forward when clearly what England's plan was was to, was to recycle possession and just keep hold of the ball and and be patient. You know, it, forcing it wouldn't have wouldn't have done anything. Yeah, you know, but that's that's just Martin Keown, isn't it? That's 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 how he is in general. You know, I agree with Lampard. I agree with Stevie. All of those type of players who, who've come out and said how good Jordan Henderson played against Tunisia. I thought he was. I think he showed on the. The world stage to to maybe the you know the casual fan if you will what I think a lot of us have seen at Liverpool over the past six months since he's properly got back from that injury he's really finished the season strongly for me again uh, for Liverpool certainly in the Champions League you know of course he was brilliant against um, against Roma at home I thought he uh, he was excellent against uh, Manchester City at home as well. Um, sadly missed out in the with suspension in the uh, in the away leg but. I'd, I think the good of Jordan Henderson, 
and all that he does is is what you you saw against Tunisia. He was he was using the ball well. He was pressing high up the pitch. He was still acting as a shield to the defence. He was picking the right ball. He was stretching the play. A couple of those balls to Kieran Trippier were, were brilliant. It's just nice to see a little bit of recognition, you know, nationally for him because I, I still think that there's a fair contingent, of, you know, of Liverpool fans who. A, don't appreciate him, or B, even worse, think that he should be sold and that he's some sort of charlatan. And I don't think that's a fair reflection of his abilities whatsoever. I know he's always divided opinion, and I know that people are uncertain of him having the armband, but at the same time, I think he's a he's a quality player who, who serves his function in, in Jurgen Klopp's side. And it's nice to see that, you know, Gareth Southgate entrusted them with the, the responsibility of doing that as well. James, do you go along with that? I do, yeah. I, th- I thought Henderson was. was you know, arguably Liverpool, uh, England's best player on the night. I thought. Um, I, I just find it a bit bizarre the the rush to to knock him down in in some places. You know, even when I, when I was off, you know, you see the reaction to Fabino signing, and you know, people say, "Oh, that's you know, that's the end of Henderson." Brilliant, as if you know, that's he's been brought in to replace him. You know, forgetting the fact that Liverpool have just lost Emery Chan. Um, you know, you only have to look at you know the relationship between Klopp and Henderson to see how much the manager admires him and. The fact that he's you know stuck by him as as, as captain and, and picks him whenever he's fit, um, you know it's so many top managers. Well, that's what I don't quite understand with you know the the big section of supporters who doubt and question him all the time. Just look all the way through his career, the managers that have kept picking him and picking him, you know, at club level and and internationally. You know, he's, he's he he always you know gets a game, and you know I, I think it, you know it was a few weeks back. I see you know, it seemed a bit bizarre that Eric Dyer appeared to have jumped ahead of him in the pecking order. Clearly, Henderson was that good once he turned up on England duty that, that he got the nod ahead of Dyer and you know he fully repaid Southgate's faith, I thought. Um, you know, I think there is a bit of a misconception at times because Christian's right. There were times when, yeah, he did knock it sideways and kept it. But also, I saw a lot of times when he went to look to play it forward and there was just absolutely no runners ahead of him. You know, And there was a few times you could see on the TV, you know, him, him rollicking Sterling or Deli Alley for, for not for not making the right run for him. You know, what's he supposed to do? Is he supposed to hit it forward just for the sake of it and lose it? Then he'd, he'd get criticised for that. So, you know, I thought he switched play really intelligently at times. You know, some real quality raking crossfield passes. You know, he you know, he, he also, you know, got forward at times. He had that great volley that forced a save. Um, he's, a, he's a massively important part of, of the England team, just as he is at, at Liverpool. And, um, you know, all the praise he's had this week has been richly deserved and, I must admit, I just find it all a bit baffling. The the the, the fact that you know I, I put on social media, you know, how, how well I thought he played, and you know the the amount of negativity and abuse coming back at you, which I I I think anyone who didn't think Jordan Henderson played very well against Tunisia then has to have the blinkers on because you know it's uh, I think it's just a weird fascination with some people wanting to to knock him all the time when you should just judge him. On, you know, on, on a game-by-game basis, just like anyone else, and you know, I think anyone with half a brain would be able to see that he was a massive part of that England win. You do wonder about Henderson, what what it is now, because I always used to think it was because he wasn't Stephen Gerrard, and you can understand that with fans who obviously they've lost the, the hero and the talisman, and, and and they don't feel like this this player. You know, you think about the 2015-16 season, maybe when Stevie left, and and Henderson had to fill those you know fill those um, those boots, fill that armband. And that was a season where it started with one manager, ended with another. And it was just a bit of a, you know, at the end of the day, though, he still managed to captain Liverpool to two finals. But OK, that's fair enough. You know, it's not really what Liverpool fans were wanting. But enough time has passed now, surely, for that not to be an issue. And so what exactly did he want? Are we living in a, in a footballing world now where the only thing that people are measured by are goals and assists? Because I thought, you know, a lot of analytics have, have moved us away from that and people are able to see the other things that he does? Is it because he's just not fashionable enough? If he was you know, Brazilian or Italian or German, would people be more enamoured with him? I just don't understand what it is because ultimately he's been captain now for, for three seasons. He's led Liverpool to three cup finals. OK, all, def- all defeats, but you know he's, he's got them to three cup finals, led them into the two champ- successive Champions League qualifications now. Everybody will point and say, well, yeah, that's, but that's Klopp, that's Salah, that's Mane, that's Firmino. But, you know, Ultimately, he's as important as anybody else to that setup. So I just don't understand where the the negativity 
you know, in terms of Liverpool fans, where he still comes from, because people can't wait to knock him down. And ultimately, he's somebody who served the club. Now he's played over 250 games for the club. I think he's he's been there since he was 2011. He's 28 now, so that's seven years ago. So he's been there since he was 21 years of age. He's he's a loyal servant to the club. He clearly daily loves the club, and I just don't understand why he is still getting those brickbats off people. I'm going to put this question to both of you. And I think it is a, it's a difficult question because I think a lot of our listeners might might take an exception to it. Maybe some of our readers might do. But is Jordan Henderson, and we've seen it before with players like Lucas Leira, is he the type of player who, unless you go the game regularly and you see Liverpool play, not on TV, but properly on the pitch, is he the sort of player that will always be underrated by fans because you're not seeing the little things that he's doing on a game-to-game basis? Christine? Loaded. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I'm, that's not to say anybody who doesn't go the game, the, no, their no, opinion no, isn't. But I know what you mean. There are certain things off the ball, and I think, for example, I think it was Jonathan Northcroft at the Times, you know, he's a good mate of yours, James, really nice fella, John, and he's, I think he wrote it about Henderson. He did a really nice piece about, you know, how Henderson was, was so good against Tunisia. And he said, just like in the game against, you know, I think he, he said the Roma game or, or whatever it was, um, you know the things off the ball you don't see the the general talking to the referee the talking to the teammates the the instructions the you know for example the thing the person who took the ball out of the net after uh, England conceded that penalty it wasn't Jordan Pickford it was Jordan Henderson he was the one who took the ball out the net and put it back on the centre circle and was talking to everybody now he's not the captain there he could have easily shown his backside and said well you've picked Harry Kane as captain so what yeah. does it matter but he was described by by John Northcross as you know England's second captain there. So I do think there is that certain thing. There's definitely the the character side of it, where because he's not ranting and raving and shouting on TV, you, you think that's not what he's like. And, and he, he has quiet words with people. He does get in the referee's face. He's not Roy Keane, you know, circa 1999. He's not, he doesn't swamp the referee all the time. But he does have words with referees. He does have words with linesmen. He has words with teammates and that sort of... Just, just, to, just to let them know he's there and just to give them advice or just to say, well, you know, you've given a foul there, but why? But also as a player, I do think that, you know, other than other than distance covered in kilometres or, or you know which 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 Opta will throw out now and then on 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 Opta Joe's Twitter or anything like that, I don't think you can appreciate the 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 way he recycles the ball, how high up Liverpool play when he's when he's in on the pitch compared to when he's not. I remember going back towards the end of last season. Sorry, I suppose it's two seasons ago now, the 2016-17 season. I mean, you'd add Chan Lucas, wouldn't you, as a as a as a midfield too, and and obviously Liverpool had to play like that because Mane was out injured, but they were they were before the the last two games of the season against West Ham and Middlesbrough, they were eking out one nils and two ones, and because they were so deep, they were defending so deep, and that isn't a, that isn't how Liverpool play. Whereas when when Henderson's okay, Henderson sometimes gets bypassed, but that's just part and parcel of the game. And I think Klopp said he's he's got one of the hardest jobs at Liverpool because. Sometimes he is, it's him to, and two centre backs because the full backs push on, and obviously the the Salah and Mane come in field. The two ahead of him move on as well. So ultimately, you've got Henderson and the two centre backs. That is not an easy job to defend against. I think the fact that Liverpool do defend so well on the counter attack is a testament to him, and that's the sort of thing that maybe you don't always see because on TV you just sort of see that moment, that particular game phase of the game. What you don't see is, is the build-up to it and the positions he's taken up. And, and, and when the ball does come, he's in the right place at the right time because he's done the right thing a couple of seconds before. Christian, do you want to take that hand grenade and just pass it over to James? <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think there probably are some parallels with Lucas, aren't they, in terms of you know, you know that, that how he polar- polarises opinion in, in, in some parts. I think, I think it's a number of things. I think, I think you're right. I think definitely part of it is... Because he, you know, because he, he's not rampaging forward and producing assists and scoring goals regularly, I think it's maybe difficult, more difficult at times to for his contribution to matches to really jump out at people. Um, but you know, again, I go back to what I said earlier about the fact that you just look at how many top managers have have, have, have picked him and stuck by him because they know that you know a fully fit Jordan Henderson, you know, they know how important he is to any team and. You know, I I just find it a bit bit bizarre because you know Klopp, Klopp's not been at Liverpool not far off three years now. You know, and the, you don't play the number of games Henderson has under Klopp if you know if he's if he if he doesn't rate him incredibly highly. And and the same the same at international level. It's just 
And, and the other thing I was going to say was I think part of it is also because Liverpool haven't been particularly successful are they, in terms of trophies in the last 10 years. Um, and I think because Henderson's been there the longest, I think part of that is also people are maybe looking for, you know, why, why is it, you know, Liverpool haven't won trophies? And because he's been there throughout so many of those near misses from, you know, the cup final defeats, you know, right back in 2012 in the FA Cup final through to the Champions League final defeat this year. And I think people are looking for something to, to blame. And I think they're thinking, you know, he maybe, you know, he's been there the longest. He's part of the problem, which, you know, I, I still think Henderson's part of the solution. I mean, Klopp's been quietly ruthless over these past three years. You look at that Champions League final team and you've got players who, who, he's, who were there before he came in. You had Dejan Lovren, you've got Jordan Henderson, you've got James Milner, and you've got Roberto Firmino. Now, obviously Trent's sort of, but he's brought some through. I wouldn't count him. So what you've got there is a Roberto Firmino who's been converted from what he was originally bought as into a centre-forward, so you can say he's put his stamp on him. Now, with Jordan Henderson, it's not like, he's, it's not like Klopp's had him for three years and he's had to make do with him. Don't forget, this is the same player who Klopp's had for for three years, and a year in has moulded them into a different position because he thought that this was what he was more suited towards. If everybody remembers, he was more of a an advanced midfielder, a number eight, if you will, using you know Klopp's terms. And it, I mean, do you remember the do you remember the the, the comeback after the Burnley game, the two 0 the second game of the twenty sixteen seventeen season? Everyone was absolutely apoplectic over the fact that Jordan Henderson was playing as the as the DM, as people call it, the number six. But Klopp's obviously seen this lad in training for so long. He's seen that he is capable of playing this role. And he starts the Champions League final there. Now, I know people say, well, Fabinho shows that his, his days are numbered. I don't think it does. It's just adding more more numbers to the squad. He's versatile. I'm not sure he'll get the nod, say, in another Champions League final. That would be an interesting thing. But ultimately, Klopp has known this, this player for three years. He's had numerous chances to get rid of other players. And he has. Ibe, Skirtle... Allen, all of these sorts of players. So the ones who've left have obviously they're not there by by luck or they're there by design because Klopp rates them. So you know I know you, we can't be completely and utterly uncritical of Klopp and say he knows absolutely everything. But and Wilson trusts his judgments on the man he's but trusted in a position that he's set for him and also the man that he's kept the armband on. Okay, we'll quickly just touch on two players today who are close to or have confirmed moves to other clubs. And then we're going to move on to a Q&A session. We've got some pre-prepared questions that we asked for you, for, for you for, to give us earlier. So, um, But first of all, yeah, we'll touch upon these two players. First of all, James, uh, John Farnigan today. Um, he's had his move to Rangers. He's joining up with Stephen Gerrard, north of the border, confirmed. Um, a good signing for, for Stephen Gerrard up there? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, a, a great move for John Flanagan as well. Um, you know, it, a very promising young defender who you know made the break breakthrough at Liverpool. I think played 50, 51 games. Um, you know you think back to how important he was in that in that title charge under Brendan Rodgers in twenty three fourteen. I think he played almost every game in the second half of that season. Um, you know, unfortunately, since then, you know he hasn't been able to kick on as as he would have liked to have done. You know, a few knee injuries which uh, really hampered his career. I know he worked tirelessly. To get back, of course, last season he had well-publicised off-field issues as well. Went out on loan to to Bolton, um, but you know he's still only 25. Um, and you know I think I think you know this will this will be a you know a, a big opportunity for him. Um, you know I, I think it will suit him down to the ground going up there. You know it's a two-year deal with the option of a of a third year. Stephen Gerrard knows him. Um, you know very well. He knows what he can he can provide. Um, yeah, and I hope I hope he does well up there. You know he was, you know he was you know, at Liverpool. Obviously that that route was pretty much shut. We've we've seen you know the amazing development of Trent Alexander Arnold, Joe Gomez, Nathaniel Klein. You know it was it was pretty clear there was never going to be a way back for him at Liverpool, and and hopefully um, he'll do very well up there. And Christian Emery Chan has been having his medical today at Juventus. Uh, he's not someone that you think Liverpool will miss, is he? I don't think so. I think certainly the last six months of his career, it just felt like, and obviously the the, the injury that he suffered against Watford in March compounded it. But it just felt like he was drifting. It felt like I think we've all known, haven't we, for the best part of nine months, maybe that he wasn't going to sign this contract, no matter what Klopp was saying in public. I think we all sort of knew he was holding out. Um, it's a shame that Liverpool haven't managed to pick up a, a, a fee for him. 
Um, but I thought that the the way they've sort of responded was was quite decisive um, by bringing in Fabinho. Obviously, he's not the same type of player necessarily, but he, you know he will fulfil those two positions that that Emery Chan did. It's 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 a sh- it's a shame how it, it, it ended up. And here's the thing: everybody goes, "Oh well, this is the perfect move for Emery Chan." I'm not sure it is because I always think that Emery Chan struggles when there's no tempo to the game and there's very little tempo in Syria. Um, it's very static. It can be a, a league where you know teams sit back, um, and you've you've actually got to have a little bit of quality on the ball. And I always think Chan's better when sort of he's just popping it off left and right. He can go on the odd run, of course, but I just feel like. You know, I, I don't know if it is suited to him, but he's got his move. He'll probably end up playing as you know the holder for Juventus, and you know he's going to be playing Champions League football next season. So, best of luck to him. It's a shame that it worked out how it did. They got four decent years out of him, but ultimately, you know, I don't think he. I think it's it's for Liverpool now to to show that he's not going to be a great loss and, and move on with a, a whole new midfield. I think the big thing for Liverpool is they've known that this was going to happen for twelve months as well. I remember speaking to people at the club last summer and. You know, obviously, we always talk about you know when a player gets down to the last twelve months of his contract. You know, what do you do? Is it you know is it a dilemma in terms of do you cash in or risk losing them for nothing? And and you know the Klopp effectively said them. You know, I'd rather have twelve months of of Emery Chan and lose him for nothing than than sell him now for whatever we could get because he didn't feel as if there was there was someone else he could go and get straight away. Um, and I think you know we we kind of saw that with what's happened with obviously Naby Keita and then Fabinho who's come in now. So I think it's worked out. You know, I, I don't, I, as Christian said, I think it, I thought it was interesting over the course of the season that Chan never really got much stick, did he, or abuse? I think, which you, know, you think back to McManaman. yeah, is a good example of you know someone who ran down their contract and went. And you know, the reason McManaman got so much abuse was because people loved him. They didn't, you know, he was so good universally admired they didn't want him to to go I think with Chan the, the big thing is you know he's he, again he divided opinion to the point where you know some people will say it's a massive loss others will say they'd have happily driven him to Turin to see the back of him so I think the truth's probably somewhere in the middle I think um you know I think with the quality Liverpool have brought in in midfield this season I don't think he'd have been an automatic starter next year anyway I wish he'd stayed just because I think I just think it's a bit sad the fact that Liverpool have put so much into his development from what is he, is he 24 now maybe 24 going on 25 and he's played a huge amount of football at a high level for someone so young um, I, I just think it's a bit bizarre on his part the fact that, that he wants to leave but you know he, the fact of the matter is he's got no emotional attachment really to Liverpool you know he spent four years here he maybe I don't know, he, you know I'm sure we'll hear from him in due course over the next 24 40 hours when he uh, does his duties as a Juventus player, but um, you know maybe he, he maybe decided he uh, he fancied fancied a bit of the Italian lifestyle and you know, I wish him well. He was a joy. He's a nice fellow, Emery Chan. Always, you know, he was always good to deal with. You know, I um, yeah, it's a shame to see him go, but it's not a it's not a massive blow. And and again, I think the important thing for Liverpool is they've known this was coming for a long time. I think the gamble worked on Liverpool's pass as well. Going back to what. James said Klopp's thoughts on it in terms of they got that last 12 months out of him and I need to make a few vital contributions so you know I think it's, it's worked out best for both parties OK we've got 10 minutes or so to concentrate on these these questions uh, James put the shout out on his on his Twitter before and we've, we've had a fair few in uh, we'll start with the big one the one that you're all interested in the one that I know a lot of supporters have been asking us have been sending it through to us uh, James uh, Jimmy Send this one in to us. It's a tough one. I know it's. I know it's tough. Um, I know you've got to be careful what you say. But James, pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? I'm very passionate about this subject. Actually, it's it's a very very strong no. Pineapple has got no place on pizza. Uh, I don't believe that that fruit mixes with savoury. Um, and in fact, when a ham and pineapple pizza does get put in the oven, I then have to pick the pineapple bits off before thinking about eating it. It, it it turns my stomach just thinking about it. Very passionate about that, James. Christian? I think Mrs. Pierce needs to pick the pineapple off before she puts it in the oven. <laughs> and it's an absolute no can you, for me. Can you tell her that? <laughs> I don't want to dwell on that, but you're both wrong. Uh, you oh, both got that one wrong. Yeah, the, an- the answer was yes. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on now. Uh, right, Christian, not Christian Walsh, but another Christian. How do you know? Well... 
He spells it with a C, Christian. So. Um, he wants to know, is Jan Oblak a possibility, James? No, I don't think he is. No, I think, um, you know, for a couple of reasons, I think, one, I think it'd be very difficult to get him away uh, from Atletico. Uh, and two, you know, I think people say, I'll oh, just pay his release clause. What was it, 88 million, I think the release clause is. So, on the one hand, you know, are you really going to spend that amount of money on a goalkeeper? And also, it's not like... I've seen some people just just pay the release clause as if our black has no say in the matter. You know, you still you still need to convince him to leave. Yeah, to leave Atletico Madrid for Liverpool. So, um, no, I w- I would be very surprised if that one happened. Christian. Oh, you want me to answer that as well? Well, we're not just going to leave you out this bit. You'd be sitting <laughs> in silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just looking at the Denmark score on my phone. Uh, no, it's um, no, I, I, I doubt it very much. It would happen. The one thing I would say about that, you know, it's he just paid the eighty-eight million pounds. The world record fee for a goalkeeper is thirty-six million pounds. So, I mean, I know Liverpool broke the defenders' world record when they got Van Dijk, but that's just you can't go two hundred and fifty percent or whatever it is over what the, you know the record is. It's ridiculous. Ray, I'll have just signed that Ukrainian lad. Um, I can't Lunin, Lunin yeah. For for twelve million, he's automatically gone into the top ten most expensive goalkeepers of all time. So you you can't spend eighty million pounds on a goalkeeper, and I'm sure Liverpool would at least, if they wants them, try to negotiate that instead of just going, "Here's the money." Yeah, we'll be sitting here in three years' time saying, "Just pay the three hundred million, <laughs> get it done, get the deal done." Right, we'll move on. Uh, Nigel wants to know, James, is Bouvat returning? Um, I've been trying to, been working on this one, and. Liverpool are adamant that he remains a Liverpool employee. That's as far as they will commit at the moment. Um, personally, I'd be surprised if we see him at Melwood for that first week of pre-season. Players due back on July the 2nd. Um, yeah, no official confirmation as of yet. Um, but yeah, my my hunch would be that, that Bovac won't be back. Um, but, you know... Liverpool, Liverpool insists that nothing has been decided on on that front yet. Yeah, of course, you know Pep Linders is coming back as part of the backroom staff. I thought it was interesting when Pep Linders' con- return was confirmed by Liverpool. They didn't actually specify exactly what his job title will be, did they? I think the no, um, returning to the backroom staff. Um, you know, what was he first team development coach? I think his title was before that. I mean, he was the key link with the academy. It'd be interesting to see where Linders does just slot back into that or if Bovac doesn't return, as I don't think he will, whether whether we see Linders have a more a more senior role in the setup, because there's no doubt that he is a massively gifted coach. You know, it didn't didn't quite work out for him in Holland as a as a manager, but um, you know, his stock is, is very, very high with Klopp and I think the, the fact that Klopp moved so quickly to get him back, you know, he, he invited Linders over to Kiev for the Champions League final. I think, you know, that kind of spoke volumes about how highly he rates him. Okay, uh, next one from Gareth. Chris, and we will bring you back in there. So, <laughs> next one from Gareth, who's not has not really asked a question, just made a statement. He needs to learn how to ask a question. He's just said Anfield Road extension, James. <laughs> um, it, do you know what? The uh, I was actually speaking to someone this morning about that, and that there isn't. There isn't really an update, to be honest. I think, um, I think Andy Hughes. I think there was a Q and A on the club website this week where it was touched upon, and um, and you know, I, I don't think anything's really moved on from the last stuff we did on it, probably four or five months ago. Which uh, Liverpool, are, are, I think, you get the feeling that they're committed to, to making it happen. But you know, they, they, I've seen some suggestions that they've decided exactly how you know what the design is going to be and. And they're pushing. They're, that's not the case. I think the way that Liverpool explained it to me was that they they can't be th- spread too thinly across too much at the moment. And um, and of course the priority at the moment in terms of the infrastructure of the club is the the new uh, training uh, base at Kirby. Building work on that scheduled to start. Uh, I think over the, the coming weeks. I think if it hasn't started already, will have been off. Um, you know they've that all that planning permissions in place. I think like a two-year project to build that fifty million pound outlay for the new state-of-the-art complex at Kirby. Um, so it's, it's from the way it was explained to me, it's not a case of that doesn't have to finish before the Anfield Road starts. But certainly in the short term, they're very much focused on that. Um, but that, that still doesn't. There is stuff stuff going on in the background in terms of um, various studies and, and looking into into. You know different designs for the Anfield Road end, um, 
So yeah, I think it, it will happen. It will happen. I think FSG are committed to making it happen. Um, you know, I think the, the massive success of the main stand has kind of fueled the desire to to increase Anfield further. But um, I, I wouldn't expect it to. You know, we're not we're not talking about building work starting anytime soon. Okay, we really are going to have to motor through the rest of these questions. So um, I will put this one to both of you very quickly. A new centre back. Do you think there's a new chan- any chance of a new centre back? Um, coming for the, the this season, I don't think if there is, I don't, I can't see him spending big on a centre back. I just don't think it's a, a priority area. Joel Matip um, has been at Melwood over the summer doing his rehab, very close to full fitness again. Um, you know, I see people saying you know that Liverpool need to buy a, a, a centre back partner for Van Dijk. I think Liverpool already got a centre back partner for Van Dijk in Lovren, who I thought was outstanding in the Champions League final, and barring a couple of massive meltdowns. Uh, last season had a really really good year um, I think you know the fact that Klopp gave him that new deal showed how much faith he's got in him and I think I think Lovren will have a big part to play next season Joe Gomez as well isn't there you know the, the, somebody who who sort of his development again has been curtailed a little bit yeah. because of a, a badly timed injury but he's starting a centre back for, for England so he's, he's obviously an option something that Klopp's always seen him as as a centre back and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he pushes Lovren and certainly pushes Matip for, for that starting spot yeah, the only the only one that I think will be interesting, and I must admit I'm not sure exactly where this stands at the moment, is whether Clavan is definitely happy to hang around as a squad player for another year. I think he's got one more year left on his deal. Um, so you know potentially if Clavan did turn around and say he wanted more regular football, then I think that would be an area Klopp would have to address. But yeah, I think in terms of going out and spending massive amounts of money on a centre back, I'd be surprised. Christopher Peterson asked a couple of questions. We'll combine them because they're, they're along the same lines. Uh, first question is about the academy. He says, um, any more about what's happening with the restructuring there and new hiring after Gerard Start as Rangers manager? We had some stuff about this earlier this week, didn't we? Yeah, Barry Lutus, fully expect him to be confirmed as Gerard's successor as under-18s manager. Uh, coach, you know, very highly rated at the academy, was in charge of the under-16s before... Um, played a big part in the development of youngsters like Curtis Jones and Adam Lewis. Um, so yeah, been, you know, he's been fast track really. From I think he's been been there, I think maybe four or five years, maybe a bit more actually now. And from working with the under tens to the twelves, fifteens, sixteens, and now eighteens. Um, so yeah, there's a bit of a restructure going on at the academy. With I went down to see Alex Inglethorpe, and you know, he was talking about making the staff a bit leaner. He felt they were almost overstaffed in, in certain areas. Um, you know, For instance, there won't be an assistant manager for the 18s or the 23s next season. Uh, Neil Critchley will stay with the 23s. Um, but no, the academy's in a really good place at the moment. You know, it was interesting, in, in fact, speaking to him about how he feels that a really, really strong area of the academy now is the pre-academy, um, which I think they kind of count as kind of, I think it's like kind of eights and nines and under, um, feeling that, that that's like a an area where they've put a lot of time and effort in. I think especially during that 12 months where obviously Liverpool had that transfer ban, um, that they had to, you know, they, they kind of focus minds on trying to make sure you get the right players in early on. Um, so, yeah, that, that you know, there's a, the, the pre-academy, they, they, they feel as if, you know, there's a really good setup there. And I think, you know, and you have to look at, you know, what they've produced in Trent Alexander Arnold to know they're on the they're on the right track. Christian, um, next youngster to come through, uh, Christopher, has also asked uh, who do you think it will be? Wilson next in line. I mean, it depends if you think he's a youngster. He's twenty one. Um, you know, he's played Championship football. I think the next one now after he looks set to sign his, his deal is Rian Brewster. I think we're hopefully going to see him put pen to paper and and we'll see him. Certainly, as a as, as an option off the bench next season, and if you look for somebody a little bit younger, then I'll hang my hat on Curtis Jones every day of the week. This, the like will be something special. Yeah. Okay, James. Um, we've had our block. What about Allison? Well, again, you know, he's. I think Allison's more realistic than Oblak, um, but the way I understand it at the moment is it, it, it's it's not looked upon as being massively realistic as it stands. I think. Um, you know, Liverpool seem to think. I think it was. You know, it's been written many times that they feel as if doing business with Roma would be problematic on the basis that Roma feel as if you know that they Liverpool had their pants down a bit over the Salah deal. 
um, and they you know they got him far too too cheap that there would almost be a Salah tax on top of the Allison fee. Um, so you know that was that was one issue, and I think you know the, the other thing I think you know speak to trying to speak to people close to Allison. Um, it seems to be uh, you know the message seems to be that he would rather go to Real Madrid. Um, so you know, I think Real Madrid earlier on this week was it the president kind of distanced himself from suggestions they'd pay anything like the seventy million or whatever it is that has been touted around for him. Now, again, I think I think with Allison, nothing is going to happen whilst whilst Brazil is still in the World Cup. Um, there's no doubt he's the one that that Klopp would like. Um, and again, you know, interestingly, I think what is going to happen. You know, if if Allison doesn't happen, does where does he go from there? I think, you know, people will say, you know, he has to go and sign a goalkeeper. But I agree that Liverpool desperately need a top class goalkeeper if they're serious about making the next step and being title challenges this season. But we've seen from Klopp previously that that if he can't get the the right one, then then um, he's prepared to bide his time. Okay, next one, uh, the Shakiri situation, and anything going on there, James? Not aware of anything new with that. No, only only that Liverpool retain an interest in him, not viewed as a as a massive priority, but would be a decent squad player and an attacking option at a relatively cheap price. But um, again, you know he's at the World Cup, isn't he, at the moment? So I think whether Liverpool follow up that interest, I think that will become clear once Switzerland's involvement is over. And any any news on new contracts for either Mane or Salah? We've been asked by John. No, I mean, I, I think it's certainly things that Liverpool will be working on. But again, you know, whilst those players are at the World Cup, you know, that that's on the that's on the back burner. But you know, it was interesting when um, you know when Klopp spoke after Firmino signed his deal, um, and I think you know Tom Werner touched upon it when I spoke to him before the Champions League final that um, that retaining those top talent is absolutely. You know, viewed as as pivotal to the club's hopes going forward, um, and you know, I know there was I saw some stuff floating around about Mane potentially moving on or whatever, but you know, there's 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 no chance that Liverpool would consider let, letting him go. You know, that they, they they want to keep Mane and Salah around for for years to come, and you know, giving them improved terms and getting them tied down to new deals is you know. You know, it has to it has to be right at the the top of the priority list, and I think that's something we'll see later on in the summer. Okay, I'm going to end with a yes or no question for both of you um, from our last question. Um, will Loris Carius be at the club come next season? Yes. Yes. Easy, right? Okay, just forget everything James has said after he got that pineapple question wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, thanks very much for listening. Hopefully, you enjoyed that Q and A, and we'll be back um, very soon, actually, for another podcast um, and next week for all the news as well. Cheers, goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.